on these three lives. Welcome, listeners, to the 42nd chapter of the QAnon Anonymous podcast, the China episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Rokotansky, Julian Fields, and Travis View. This month on the docket, we're going to examine how the QAnon conspiracy theory frames China, the country their beloved leader Donald Trump loves to hate. Before that, we'll briefly examine why the West grew so scared of China in the late 90s and onwards. The episode will end with the thrilling tale of one boomer's descent into the world of hacksaws and bots. But before we go down these rabbit holes... QAnon News. First up, uh, QAnon leaders team up with alleged cult leader J.Z. Knight. So this was uh, reported by Will Sommer at the Daily Beast. Uh, alleged cult leader Jay-Z Knight is a woman who claims she's a conduit for a 35,000-year-old warrior god who supposedly waged a war on the mythical city of Atlantis. Well, let's, let's not Excellent. jump to any, any conclusions. It sounds reasonable to right. me. Right. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like it's a stupid claim, but it's catchy <laughs> enough for Knight to earn thousands of followers and a sprawling compound in Washington State. Unbelievable. Nothing means anything. <laughs> Uh, since last year, Knight has begun to incorporate Q-drops into her Remtha lore. And one statement from Remtha provided to the Daily Beast by Knight's group, the Remtha School of Enlightenment, uh, the spirit declares that the person behind QAnon is a divine intelligence. Uh, like other QAnon promoters, Knight has begun to make uh, merchandise based on the conspiracy theory, selling hats and t-shirts with Q branding. Because, of course, she has. How? So uh, Knight has found a friendly reception with some top QAnon promoters who have started flocking to the group's property in Yelm, Washington, for QAnon-intensive events. Uh, the first QAnon person to uh, be hosted at the compound uh, is J.T. Wild, a uh, QAnon musician who penned the song WWG1WGA. Oh, yeah. Straight yeah. fire. In June, the QAnon promoters In The Matrix and Shady Groove, who have more than 110,000 Twitter followers between them, are scheduled to appear at the ranch to discuss their QAnon theories. Knight's followers, looking to see the QAnon interpreters, will have to pay $100 each for the tickets. Amazing. So, did, did someone tell them about YouTube? Yeah, I know. Just go there for free. No, it's a live experience. So, yes, some in the uh, QAnon community, most notably Neon Revolt, have criticized the QAnon personalities. Uh, who uh, attend the ranch because it makes QAnon seem a little cult-like to actually team up with a literal cult with a compound. I, I just today I was I was thinking like you know how come this is so all-encompassing and you think back to like the satanic panics uh, in the history of the United States and they were this big as well. But what's so different and interesting about QAnon is that it's like if Tom Clancy fertilized satanic panic yeah and and the stories of this idea of like this heavenly being like revealing like the sat satanic bullshit behind everything was just a pure thriller language this kind of actually uh, actually really worries me because jay-z knight is just a lunatic and and but but she's a charismatic lunatic yeah and so we have someone who has like real world charisma who can uh, entrance thousands of people with her batshit message. Yeah. Um, and then you combine that with the virality of mm -hmm. QAnon. Uh, that might be a sort of a toxic mix. There, there might be uh, so a way to uh, increase uh, the, uh, the, the power and the um, sort of the cult-like uh, you know, uh, nature of QAnon even further. On top of that, uh, we also have, uh, this is uh, sort of a QAnon-related news, uh, 
President Trump grants attorney William Barr broad declassification power. Oh so, my God. So this is, this is relevant. Here we go. This is relevant because it plays into Spygate claims and sort of the Q1 expectations about a relevatory declass is coming soon. So here, here's the story. Uh, in a directive, Trump ordered the CIA and the country's 15 other intelligence agencies to cooperate with review of the origins of the Trump-Russia investigation and granted Barr the authority to unilaterally declassify documents. The move, which occurred just hours after the president uh, again declared that those who led the investigation committed treason, uh, gave Mr. Barr uh, immense leverage over the intelligence community and enormous power over what the public learns about the roots of the Russia investigation. It's a new kind of witch hunt, the kind of witch hunt that they like. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, this really begs the question, what came first, the Trump or the QAnon? It's, it's like, is he doing this because he got the idea from QAnon oh, no, or is, no, no. is, you know, no, well, he was talking about how they were spying on him through like what a microwave, like as early as the oh, actual yeah, election yeah. before Q even appeared. It is. Yeah. And the, he was threatening to, and also yeah, Trump, uh, again, he's the president. He has the power to declassify any document at any time for any reasons, you know, that's the, he has very broad declassification. Yeah, he's powers. not doing it because he's not doing and, it. And what yeah. these dummies don't understand is that it doesn't even fucking matter if they declassify the shit. And let's say, okay, let's say it looks like, uh, you know, top brass of the FBI did, uh, you know, fudge protocols or like do some shady shit. And the report comes out. Nobody, it's not going to be what QAnon hopes, uh, believes it is, or the QAnon followers do, that, you know, all of a sudden, like, hundreds of thousands of libs are going to be like, oh, man, we were wrong. Like, please, QAnon, tell, no, they're just going to be like, oh, he's weaponizing. They're going to say the exact same thing that people yeah. said about fucking right. uh, the deep state. Oh, he's weaponized the Justice Department to, uh, you know, go after his political enemies. It's literally going to just, we're going to, it's like fucking Ouroboros, just like eating its fucking tail you know over and over again you know it's it takes it takes a very very big and very galactic mind to be like i think in this case the fbi and the cia were doing some shady shit (laughs) (laughs) oh you mean the intelligence agencies known for literally carrying out secret ops for their entire yeah (laughs) and this has been my whole my whole like uh, uh sort of opinion on on the spygate shit is that this shit happens all the time. It happens at every election. Every Whoever's in power, they've got buddy. It's like any job. You have buddies that are a little bit higher up or they got connections. Like, yo, man, yeah. get me those tickets. Like, yo, see if you can get me tickets to your agency or whatever. Like, of course, you're going to call in favors. But they finally, they finally ran into somebody who is so hell-bent on revenge that he's just going to fucking try to blow the whole thing wide open. Yeah, I just don't know that at the end of the day, he can inject these uh, institutions with enough cronies that they'll actually want to dismantle their own institutions. I don't know. It just it feels to me like after a, a while of this kind of shit, the intelligence agencies will start to kind of push back. Yeah, and 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 even if a fucking report comes out, it's going to be the exact same shit as the Mueller report. Oh, the, the 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 uh, the anons are going to say, "Look, here it is. The evidence that we've all been waiting for. Look, here's where they b- broke made crimes and all this shit." And the fuck and and you know, people on the, you know, liberals are going to be like, 
oh, it's a nothing burger. Oh, what a nothing burger. Like, it's nothing's going to change. You know, you nothing know, is going to happen. When, yeah. the, when, the, when the intelligence agency finally wants to get rid of this guy, it's going to be so much less cool than the JFK murder. <laughs> he's going he's gonna to literally be fed like a fucking poisoned uh, Big Mac, and he's just going to keel over in, in Air <laughs> like, Force One like, like, fucking, uh, like Prince Joffrey. There's going to be no discussion of a second shooter. It's going to be like, oh, was there a second patty? Fears of China with Julian Field. Mm-hmm. China. China. Michael, how was the dentist? It was great. China. Are you okay? What's wrong? Everything here was made in China, Pam. Yeah, it's where they make stuff. They used to make stuff in America, Andy, but we're falling behind. Did you know that? China is a sleeping dragon that is just beginning to stir. Oh, no. Yeah. In 2008, John Eikenberry wrote an article for Foreign Affairs, and it perfectly captured America's shifting sentiment about China with its title, The Rise of China and the Future of the West. Can the liberal system survive? Here are its opening paragraphs. The rise of China will undoubtedly be one of the great dramas of the 21st century. China's extraordinary economic growth and active diplomacy are already transforming East Asia, and future decades will see even greater increases in Chinese power and influence. But exactly how this drama will play out is an open question. Will China overthrow the existing order or become part of it? And what, if anything, can the United States do to maintain its position as China rises? Some observers believe that the American era is coming to an end as the Western-oriented world order is replaced by one increasingly dominated by the East. The historian Niall Ferguson has written that the bloody 20th century witnessed, quote, the descent of the West, end quote, and a reorientation of the world toward the East. Realists go on to note that as China gets more powerful and the United States' position erodes, two things are likely to happen. China will try to use its growing influence to reshape the rules and institutions of the international system to better serve its interests. And other states in those systems, especially the declining uh, hegemon, will start to see China as a growing security threat. The result of these developments, they predict, will be tension, distrust, and conflict, the typical features of a power transition. In this view, the drama of China's rise will feature an increasingly powerful China and a declining United States locked in an epic battle over the rules and leadership of the international system. And as the world's largest country emerges, not from within, but outside the established post-World War II international order, it is a drama that will end with the grand ascendance of China and the onset of an Asian-centered world order. So uh, although this guy Eikenberry is using kind of, you know, intelligent words, he's really just fucking panicking like a lunatic. I mean, half this shit makes no fucking sense. It's it, He thinks he's in a Marvel movie, you know? I mean, he's talking here about um, locked in an epic battle, you know? And then the idea that it's absolutely clear to everyone that the entire world is defined by the United States. They dictate the terms. He is describing a real shift, but it is all in the language of American exceptionalism. With this absolute mm. surprise that anyone who wasn't listed on the books of the World War II thing would in any way have power afterwards, which ignores the fact that, you know, all, like Asia has both India and China, which are massive countries. It's like saying we didn't expect these people to ever develop, which well, is amazing. I don't think it's I don't think it's saying that they would ever develop. But, you know, I was saying that they're, uh, you know, they're 
the rise in power is going to you know have a, a you know a, a global effect that i think seems pretty simple observation i mean he's making that uh that observation but what he's saying here are he's basically asking are they going to overthrow us mm. or are they going to join the existing order those are very coded words yeah. and it's saying basically there can't be one order that has an asian superpower and us it has to either be their way or our way. It's a very absolutist way of seeing the world. Gotcha. And, it, and it's a way of right. thinking of the world that was born during the Cold War, when it was really two big powers on everybody in America's you know, dinner plate. It was Russia and America. And the rest of the world basically faded into the background because it wasn't being covered, because it wasn't the focus. It wasn't in the culture war. And then, what the fuck? Who's China? <laughs> and, and I just want to lead you guys through uh, some, of, some of my thoughts around that. So... I do remember in the late 90s and early aughts, these articles were popping up across the media landscape. I remember because I was a teenager and I would kind of grow up and you'd see like the cover of Time magazine with a big red cover with the yellow hammer and sickle and just, you know, a lot of kind of, you know, what's going to happen here. Um, even though like oftentimes what was contained inside these articles is very soothing. And in fact, Eikenberry goes on to kind of calm you in certain ways, but they can never resist the title and the few opening first paragraphs being incredibly alarmist. Why? Because it sells newspapers. You know, it's a very, yeah. it's a dramatic entrance of a new player into the, the playground of the world. Right. Um, so I mean, America, like I was saying, uh, in the 90s was waking up after a long dream called the Cold War, a dream that had seen the American public convinced that there were only two superpowers, the USSR and the United States of America. So this simplistic, polarized version of geopolitics was shattered by the People's Republic of China's incredibly rapid industrialization and avid participation in the world markets, despite ostensibly also being a communist country. So I just want to look back on how that uh, blend has occurred and how it's developed since the, the mid-70s. In 1976, Chinese President Deng Xiaoping had the support of the Chinese elite when he embarked on a broad reformation of China's economy. They were tired of not being able to uh, make money and have enterprise like the other elites uh, in the world. So, you know, the he wanted to ditch the what was called the planned economy in favor of what they were calling the socialist market economy. This would mean uh, a kind of passing a, a, a lot of different reforms, and they started with agriculture first. They passed laws that allowed peasants partial control of their land with some strings attached. They had to sell a certain amount of their crops to the government. This made agricultural uh, production grow dramatically, and it was used as a precedent for similar reforms in other sectors. In 1978, for example, Deng announced the open door policy, which you know the West often knows as the opening of China. Um, and that opened China essentially to foreign investment. Conservatives in the country uh, continued to fight Deng's reforms. And of course, this is a very weird thing because conservatives in China are people who believe in communism, basically, and that system of seeing things, whereas liberals in China are people fighting for an, uh, a capitalist open market system. They're not particularly lovers of democracy, but they do like to have uh, financial growth. So there was a big uh, thirst for that. So when you hear conservatives here, you have, to, you have to somehow in your brain be like, they were the people who believed in Maoist version communism, <laughs> which is just amazing, uh, just language-wise for us in America. But Okay, so following the open door policy, um, there was a fighting of Deng's reforms by conservatives. They because especially when those um, reforms were going against the entrenched interests of the upper class. So people who 
had gotten rich under a completely uh, like non-capitalist system. Basically, the monarchy was kind of complaining that some of the liberal reforms might make other people very rich that weren't rich before and might make them poor because their entire wealth yeah. was based on a system that was so different than capitalism. So, so yeah. they, were, they were worried about uh, class mobility? They yeah. were definitely worried about class mobility and also that they would be reduced. It's like any mm. aristocracy when they're presented right, with, right. with a new system. You're like, well, wait a second. Do we still where, get where to keep we, our where titles? Where do we play into this? Right. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so they fought some and then they encouraged others because, you know, they, they did still want to be able to make more money for themselves, but they also didn't want to lose power in the process. Um, so this meant that the 80s were kind of a period of unrest in China, culminating, obviously, in the infamous 1989 Tiananmen Square protest. But by 1992, having stood up to his haters, Deng reopened the Shanghai Stock Exchange, which had been closed by his predecessor, Mao, four decades previous. Um, the 90s then involved some growing pains, despite impressive growth. The private economy began displacing the state sector. Uh, the planned economy was giving more and more ground to the socialist market economy. The end of the 90s saw Deng's successors, Jiang Zemin and Zhu Rongji, put the country through a wave of privatization. Tariffs, regulations, and trade barriers were, were reduced. More and more state employees were laid off to make place for the growing private sector. Obviously, they got pretty pissed off around this time as well, and that a lot of the unrest was due to this shift because... Uh, they were basically shuttering entire public um, organizations that were employing a lot of people and they were just being put out into the street and told, well, now you can find a job in this new economy or whatever. And of course, it wasn't really working for a lot of people. And so they were pretty pissed off. Um, anyways, long story short, uh, fears of China, it seems, kind of materialized in the West as China privatized its economy and eventually joined the World Trade Organization in the early 2000s. By 2005, China was the largest Asian economy, supplanting Japan. State monopolies in petroleum and banking, however, continued to persist because, you know, the old guard wanted to keep their money. Uh, but, but, you know, we'll find out that everyone can still make money and exploit people under capitalism. So it became less of an issue <laughs> later as they realized, oh, wait, we can still do all the bad stuff. Um, so Hu, uh, Hu Jintao came to power in 2005. Historians have noted that Hu Jintao, who was considered more of a conservative, actually put in place egalitarian and populist policies during his reign. This included a push towards making healthcare public. The government began pushing for what they called national champions. These were state-run companies that could go toe-to-toe -to -toe with foreign corporations, basically. Mm. Uh, in 2012, Xi Jinping came to power and continued asserting government control over both public and private enterprise. This was done in the most bizarre way. He started injecting Communist Party of China members into the boardrooms of major companies. So with some wobbles here and there, the period from the mid-70s to present-day China has been one of rapid economic development and industrialization. The state has been experimenting with basically a highly effective form of authoritarian capitalism, like by keeping some aspects of the free market so that growth happens, right. but basically showing capitalism doesn't inherently work better with democracy. We can do it just as well and stay completely authoritarian, right. which is wild. You're right. Wild. C centrally planned capitalist growth exactly <laughs> but this confusion this confusion really did create a certain amount of cognitive dissonance yeah. for americans because for americans it's very simple freedom democracy are equal to capitalism there's no possible way to have freedom and democracy under uh with a system that would be more controlled and it's also not possible for capitalism to completely work great with fascism like that would be 
out of this world. And now, you know, like I said, conservatives in China tend to be communists, but really the communist system under Mao basically developed into a completely centralized fascist government. Like it was incredibly nationalistic. They were censoring the hell out of their people and there was violence carried out against political opponents and stuff like that. So although the word is communist, uh, because they used a planned economy, which is kind of a feature of um, Soviet era uh, economies, what they did that Russia did not was they 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 started playing with um, liberalizing authoritarian government from the ground up. So their first thing, as we as we saw, was uh, the peasants were allowed to somewhat own their land. And what Russia did was the opposite. They did it top down. I don't really know what that means, but I read it and it. I was like, interesting. And so now I'm saying it on the podcast. Fair. But if you're trying to to, to reach <laughs> under the under right. the surface here. In fact, in general, my exploration of China made me realize how fucking little I know. Right. So if you right. want better information on this, um, go do some research because <laughs> I tried to limit my scope. Like, right. I, I'm not going to pretend we're going to be able to... Uh, China's the size of the United States. It's like saying, we're going to do an episode on the United States of America. Like, right. that. It's like, what aspect? So I tried to focus on the scare and also how this hybrid of uh, capitalism authoritarianism confused a lot of Americans in the 80s and 90s and made them terrified because it was like, fuck, this economy is going to beat us. And yet these people are fascists. What the <laughs> fuck? Uh, and for Americans, of course, fascism and communism, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Uh, so, so that fits together. In fact, this kind of cognitive dissonance that was developing got worse and worse. Uh, between 2018 and 2019, Xi Jinping amended the Chinese constitution to repeal term limits, essentially coronating himself leader for life, which is really an absolute absolutely a feature of uh of fascism and authoritarianism and dictatorship yeah. and stories have surfaced describing the mass detention and genocide of the uh, majority muslim uyghur population and this was happening uh you know directly it was directly um being carried out by the chinese authorities so americans were, were hearing all of these stories you know reports of forced labor camps on the periphery of major cities meanwhile there was a sense of like we're more and more in bed with these people you know, if, if you read newspapers yeah. in America, you'd probably learn at some point that we owe the Chinese $1.12 trillion. So for Americans realizing that, it, you know, uh, in the 21st century, China was going to be a big competitive force. And then they were also reading all of these things and going, well, wait a second, we have deals with these people? You know, the, the, the liberal media in, in the early 21st century has had basically repeated panic attacks trying to figure out how this grotesque fascist version of capitalism had emerged from unseen swamps to haunt their waking hours. Like, how do we owe these people $1.12 trillion? Despite the United States' love of democracy and freedom, it became apparent to the American people that the business interests of America were actually already firmly entwined with that of their non-democratic, non-free Chinese counterparts. This was, of course, you know, for any intelligent person, quite a humiliating conundrum to realize that we were, you know, already deeply in bed with, with a country that we would otherwise probably be punishing for, for what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, or at least we like to pretend we would be. And there's such a mix of things that we think yeah. shouldn't be able to coexist in our geopolitical worldview, in our moral worldview, in our basic domestic political worldview that 
it has, for good reason, stuck in our crawl. Yeah. That's why I mean, you hear it all the time. It's like, like you know, when the, when the growth of the USSR was sort of considered a threat. And they were, they were considered a sort of like really super, super closed off. And we're like, yeah. well, it was like, it's like, oh, and there was this the idea of like, uh, well, is, is like uh, liberal de- uh, uh, democracy and capitalism going mm-hmm. to win? Or is this sort yeah. of like centrally co- controlled uh, communism sort of view, view of the world going to win? So, okay. Have you ever tried to defeat Zangief? It took you a fucking hour. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he's, he's doing tough. those goddamn wrestling moves. He's spinning up into the sky. You got the people screaming behind. And he's big, too. You finally, you defeat him. Your hands are aching. It hurts. You finally slack your whole body. Another challenger has appeared. <laughs> and because you're racist, it's E-Honda, but you don't know the difference. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, that analogy works somewhat because uh, the Chinese destroy us in just about every single video game uh, imaginable. <laughs> I mean, I, I what pick your poison, PUBG. It's China number one. Uh, Ark, China number one. It's it's clans of of, of no. Chinese guys going around uh, griefing everybody. We and, cannot and survive. Being better. We cannot survive China entering the free market of gaming. <laughs> like we suck at right. it too much. We haven't. We've lost that battle. But basically, this is what it is. It's like being told for fifty years you're fighting a deadly evil, and it's the biggest deadly evil in the world, and it's maybe the only deadly evil in the world. You finally defeat it, and then you realize, wait, China's as big. They have nuclear weapons. And they uh, have a better economy than Russia. And you're like, well, w- w- uh, And what? also, we're one of our most tra- important trade partners. They are, they are not to sort of like our, our like total enemies. They, there's, or, fi- there's financial uh, reason to sort of be friendly with them. And, and like, Michael, you walk around the office and you look at all your objects and they're all made in China. <laughs> yeah. And then um, you realize that, uh, especially even recently, that... They've infiltrated uh, just about anything that can be hacked. Uh, of course, they, yes. they, they yeah. will. Uh, Comprehensive uh, espionage operation. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's shitty. Yeah, we'll hear about that for sure in a totally real story coming up. Um, so okay, so fine. We're in the we're we're you know we are in the two thousands, uh, nearer to our era, and then Trump gets elected. One, two, three, four. He declared a trade war. Invoking the 1974 Trade Act, Trump decided to unilaterally impose tariffs on China in early 2018. The act in question authorizes the president to economically punish another country if, quote, it is deemed to be unfairly harming U.S. business interests, especially if international trade agreements are being violated. The United States has accused China of using state-owned companies to unfairly copy and leverage private sector technologies, including the intellectual property of American companies. China, in turn, has accused the United States of enacting protectionist policies against its own industry's will and ignoring World Trade Organization rules. Politicians like Mike Pence will say stuff like, Companies should think twice before diving into the Chinese market if it means turning over their intellectual property or abetting Beijing's oppression. So the first part is a nod to what they actually care about, U.S. financial interests, and the second part is a purely cosmetic nod to America being the land of the fucking free, goddammit. Uh, In a perfect exemplification of the relationship between capital and authoritarian governments, Google spent years actively developing a search engine called Dragonfly, a censored version of Google designed for the Chinese market. The Intercept's Ryan Gallagher broke the story in August of 2018, and Google subsequently shut the project down. In May of 2019, former Google CEO Eric Schmidt defended the plan, and Gallagher wrote about Dragonfly again for The Intercept. In an interview with BBC on Monday, Schmidt said he wasn't involved in decisions to build the censored search platform, codenamed Dragonfly. 
but he insisted that there were many benefits to working with China and said he was an advocate of operating in the country because he believed that it could help change China to be more open. As The Intercept first revealed in August, Google developed a prototype of the censored search engine that was designed to remove content that China's ruling Communist Party regime deems sensitive. The search engine would have blacklisted thousands of words and phrases, including terms such as human rights, student protest, and Nobel Prize in Mandarin. The revelations prompted a wave of protests inside and outside of Google, with employees, activists, and prominent lawmakers demanding an end to the project. Google subsequently stated that it had ceased work on Dragonfly and moved employees to new projects. Prior- I'm sure. I'm sure they did. I'm sure they ceased it. Prior to its public exposure, Google executives had worked hard to keep Dragonfly secret within the company. Only a few hundred of the company's 88,000 workforce knew about it. In his BBC interview, Schmidt was questioned on the level of secrecy around the plan and how it squared with Google's commitments to transparency. The former CEO claimed in response that certainly the people who were building all these products knew about it. A Google employee with knowledge of Dragonfly was angered by Schmidt's remarks, characterizing them as bullshit. The source said that, quote, probably 90% of engineers in Google search department had no idea about Dragonfly and were very upset when they learned that their work was contributing to this, end quote. So just a reminder that in May of 2018, Google removed the famous Don't Be Evil slogan from their code of conduct, turning their back on what had been their unofficial motto since their early days. Only three months afterwards, the Dragonfly search engine was exposed by The Intercept. Google is kind of a perfect example of a corporation shedding moral convictions as its market share expands. To satisfy the greed of its shareholders, Google looked to untapped territories like China for revenue growth. As its executives made decisions embracing censorship and authoritarianism, Google's labor force was left in the dark about what they were working on. This behavior is not really an aberration. It's a pattern resulting from the false promise of limitless growth, the deregulation of financial markets, and the rise of multinational corporate monopolies. So that's it. That hopefully gives you a bit of more context about like why QAnon would have to deal with China, because it is in the American mind and has been yeah. for a few decades. Yeah, that's, that, that, is, that is interesting. I think like when we look take a look at uh, um, China and QAnon world, it is kind of like they can't quite see figure out how to make sense of it yeah is it friend or is it foe or is it some weird combination of the two and how do you like manage this giant beast of a country yeah um yeah so yeah let's uh let's let's get started yeah QAnon and china with travis view in the QAnon universe china is america's biggest geopolitical foe Uh, Besides the cabal, I suppose. Uh, While politicians and the mainstream media have been fixated on Russia, 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 China has been quietly undermining the United States, often with the direct assistance of high-level government officials. However, Trump is restoring a relationship with China, countering China's attempts to undermine America and guaranteeing that the U.S. is places as the world's biggest superpower. So uh, here's what Q said in a November 11th, 2017 Q drop. What did POTUS receive while visiting China? Where did POTUS dine? What is the significance? What if China, Russia, 
and others are coordinating with POTUS to eliminate the New World Order. <laughs> Do they not understand those are the three things that compose the New World Order? <laughs> yeah, what if the biggest powers in the world tried to defeat the imaginary power that I have in my brain? So that line about uh, where did POTUS die? That's a reference to the fact that when uh, Trump dined uh, with uh, President uh, Jinping in the Forbidden City in Beijing, uh, that was the first uh, U.S. president to do so since the founding of the People's Republic in 1949. Of course, Q... It, it was at McDonald's, though, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, Q also here implies that Trump is helping our foes, China and Russia, it, uh, become our allies in uh, America's battle against the global cabal. However, there is apparently a hidden reason why Trump visited the notoriously closed-off Forbidden City, a secret meeting with North Korean President Kim Jong-un. Wait, was he even there at the time? No, he was not. Okay. He was not. No, he was, he was <laughs> he not. He just made it up they, whole cloth. Wholly made up. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, the mainstream media and also Trump claim that Trump first met with Kim Jong-un in uh, June of 2018, a nod, though, that Trump actually met with Kim uh, secretly in China the year before. So... This is one of those things where where Q sort of like tries to part off some sort of like secret information. It's like, oh, the news will tell you that, you know, Trump met with a Korean president. But uh, now, you know, mm. so uh, it's so funny, though. They're like, th yeah, Kim Jong, mm, the most visible Asian man that I understand was also in Asian city with Trump. And no talk. one knew about it. Yeah, yeah, but it's just like, yeah, that other Asian guy. Like the idea, it would be like it would be like saying uh, Sarkozy was in America in San Francisco to meet with the Chinese president when he visited there. Like it's just like, yeah, another white guy. Like it doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, QAnon also maintains that the Chinese manufacturing industry is actually part of the cabal's plan to control the United States. So here's what Q said in a February fifteenth, two thousand eighteen Q drop. Why is everything really made in China? Cost savings? <laughs> I'm sure this, this uh, drop goes on to explain economies, right? <laughs> right, yeah. The implication here is uh, that uh, manufacturing is not outsourced to China due to lower, lower labor costs, but rather uh, to place America's essential goods under foreign control and give the cabal away to create back doors into our computers. This is so good because it, it, it avoids the fact that in our late-stage capitalist system, everyone exported all the jobs of these dumbasses. <laughs> Literally, all the factories got moved abroad, and they're like, man, the cabal had to have a hand in that because I lost my job at the fucking, uh, you know, factory here in Detroit. Yeah, the funny thing is that there actually is, there's a germ of truth, the idea that the Chinese government is exploiting America's reliance on the Chinese manufacturing. Oh, for industry, sure, yeah. Of course. Yeah, in fact, the, the Chinese government allegedly compromised one manufacturer in particular called Super Micro. On October 4th, 2018, uh, Bloomberg Businessweek published a report which claimed that the Chinese People's Liberation Army had uh, forced Supermicro's Chinese subcontractors to add microchips with hardware backdoors to its servers. Uh, the report claimed that the compromised servers had been sold to U.S. government divisions, including the CIA and Department of Defense, and contractors uh, and at least 30 commercial clients, including Apple. Nice. So, so uh, they're so they're uh, so they know what their assets are. So they're they're working them. So okay, uh, you said here the Chinese People's Liberation Army. Do, do they is that like is there like a CIA division? Like, w what is the the Chinese um, intelligence? 
that's organization. The, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. I'm not sure what exactly what um, I would have to check the article again to see which subdivision. But it was it was yeah. apparently a military operation. Yeah, to it definitely include, seems that way. Include these uh, these chips on these servers. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, here's here's the best thing about uh, China and QAnon world is that they believe that Hillary Clinton willingly provided China access to her private email server. <laughs> and this exposed information led to the death of CIA agents in China. And here's what Q said in a February 22nd, 2018 Q drop. Yeah, I, I will clarify a little bit. Yeah, um, right, right, right. Yeah. So, so what they believe yeah. is that the reason, well, one of the reasons that Hillary used a private email server is because she knew that the Chinese would be able to hack it. So the, what it's 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 this almost like very intricate thing that she didn't directly uh, you know, provide them with documents and stuff. But she basically left her door open and turned a blind eye and said, eh, she, yeah. She put a little candle in the window to signal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> open for business. <clears throat> okay, so the Q drop uh, says this. Clowns revealed in China, other, 2010, 187, sold Intel, HRC open source server, missing emails, CrowdStrike, granted access, betrayed, only the tip. <laughs> <laughs> this will be made public soon. Q. So that's not how open source works. No. So the allegation that Hillary sold uh, secrets to China was not made public soon. There's this, that's never been reported. But the allegation that uh, China hacked uh, Clinton's server got a shot in the arm in August 2018 when the Daily Caller, a uh, conservative publication that was founded by Tucker Carlson, so take that what it's worth, uh, published a report with the claim uh, citing two anonymous sources. Uh, one of these sources said employees of the intelligence community, uh, Inspector General, briefed the FBI that China had hacked Clinton's server. Uh, one of Daily Caller's sources said uh, an unnamed Chinese firm based in Washington, D.C. had obtained Clinton's email by embedding code into Clinton's server. That report uh, on August 28th, 2018, inspired Trump to tweet this. Report just out. China hacked Hillary Clinton's private email server. Are they sure it wasn't Russia? Just kidding. <laughs> what are the odds that the FBI and the DOJ are right on top of this? Actually, a very big story. Much classified information. So the, this definitely feels made up. No, this is a real tweet. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean the Daily Caller. <laughs> the whole, oh, fucking yeah, the, bullshit article. The whole, yeah, whole story. Yeah, it was. Trump they, was like, I, I want to send a tweet, but I have no information to right. to Tucker. base it on. Yeah. Tucker, hello, it's Donald. Yeah. I need you to come up with some kind of story. Here's the tweet I want to write. Make up the story around it. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Bye. In response to the report and the tweet, the FBI issued a statement that said, "Quote: The FBI has not found any evidence the servers were compromised." End quote. So. Classic cabal bullshit. Yeah, right? Deep state. Denying it all. Denying the Daily Caller's reporting. <laughs> On February 7th, 2018, Q offered the Anon some excitement by implying that there, that there were, in some real time, conducting some sort of military operation in China. Um, Q posted a series of photographs of King Tower in Shanghai. And King Tower is the second tallest building in uh, Shanghai. Uh, since it's an office building, it's unclear why it would be of special interest to U.S. military intelligence. 
uh, QAnon researchers later determined that the photographs were taken from uh, Shang- from the Shanghai Marriott Hotel Pudong East. This is just waiting for Joe M to like uh, Photoshop some people coming off the side of it with rappel cords and yeah. It's, it's like it was just like a series of photographs and like they were like like on the board they were like imagining like like they were like storming it with like a SWAT team and like bullshit. This yeah. looks like the the photo you take through your hotel window. It doesn't look that good and you just don't send it to anybody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you want to show off that you have enough money to travel or you have yeah, a like, good enough fuck. job that it looks sends like you shit. to places yeah. and you just go like here is here is my window from my hotel room. <laughs> After the photographs, uh, Q hinted that this was an operation to arrest someone uh, at King Tower. Here's what Q said. People asked for arrests, gave one example. Just because you can't see doesn't mean it's not ongoing. Trust the plan. Q. I mean, yep. You. this is not throwing someone a bone. This is throwing someone like the knuckle of a bone. Like this is a tiny... Like, this is a choking hazard. Hey, see this shitty picture of this hotel? Rest assured, somebody's getting arrested inside. Rest assured, we're responsible. That's right. You can't see it, but it's definitely happening. You want arrests? Here's a photo of a hotel. Thank you, Q. <laughs> that's that's basically it. You're fantastic. Like, I, so, it, like, it sounds like uh, like whoever's behind Q got the sense that uh, some QAnon followers were getting impatient, and they would be like, "All all they did, be, they knew that they're so easy to appease. They could just put, throw up a picture, and be like, "All yeah. see this. This means the arrest is happening." And be like, and you can get them to nod along. Be like, "Oh yeah, that's that's solid enough evidence for me." It's true though, because if you throw if you're if you think of QAnon as this kind of uh, gelatinous boomer body with a very dense brain of kind of autistic. Pepe's. <laughs> if you feed the autistic Pepe's a whole country to consider, uh, right, they're going right. to start churning out shit, data, fucking uh, clocks, yeah. and fucking Excel spreadsheets and shit, and fucking diagrams and shit. So, and then the, the boomers will be fed. So, yeah, this is like something that Q like occasionally does. Just throw out something and says, "See, we did that." Here's another example in um, April of 2018, the Chinese space station uh, Tiangong One. Uh, crashed into the Pacific Ocean. In a Q drop, Q implied that this was payback for something. Uh, here's what that Q drop said. Wait, wait, Trump shot a fucking Chinese satellite out of the sky. <laughs> That's right. Fucking that, tight. That's that just, that just a satellite. A, satellite, a space, uh, space station. Yeah, space fucking station. tight. But did it, was it like scheduled to come down? Like usually they are, these kinds well, of things. We'll see. Well, this okay. is what the Q drop said. What fell from space recently? <laughs> Was it Superman? <laughs> was it a meteor filled with giant space bugs? Was it Vegeta in one of those little round pods arriving to potentially pre-colonize the Earth for the Cyan planet? Accident or retaliation? Q. So some QAnon followers speculated that the space station was messing with U.S. satellites, and so the White Hats took it out. Of course, the answer to the, uh, the question, accident or retaliation is of course neither. Of course. Uh, 
Tiangong One was decommissioned on March 21st, 2016, during the Obama administration, and uh, people have been waiting the station's descent to Earth for years. Yeah, this is what happens. <laughs> They're just yeah, they just they abandoned it and completed this mission. They're like all they they spec it's gonna fall. They figured oh it's probably gonna come down to Earth in the next one or two years. It was not even a well planned. Even thing. if they defeat Raditz, they're rapidly gonna realize that Goku's origins are clearly tied to an alien planet. <laughs> and by the time the fucking next guys come around, we better have the spirit bomb. Otherwise, Q will be defeated on this Earth and the next. Another piece of the QAnon China puzzle is related to Diane Feinstein, California senator. Of course. <laughs> she, she often discusses things like this in hallways in a suspicious manner. Uh, this is one of those situations where the QAnon conspiracy theory has like just an itty bitty germ of truth. So, uh, in, in you the, heard it here first. Well, well, <laughs> well Travis is broke. They're, they're playing upon real world things, basically. <laughs> I just, just tease. Yeah, right. So, uh, in, the, in the real world, according to a report from the San Francisco Chronicle, uh, Chinese intelligence once recruited a staff member at uh, at the California office of Senator Dianne Feinstein. Uh, the suspected spy served as the lawmaker's driver in California, but took on other roles as well, including uh, helping out in her San Francisco office and being Feinstein's uh, liaison to the Asian American community in the state. Uh, he attended Chinese consulate events on behalf of the senator. Uh, he was forced into retirement shortly after his activities were discovered. He was discovered because every time he would walk into a, a, bil a government building, uh, you would hear uh, racist xylophone music start. And uh, they detected his presence. <laughs> However, the spy uh, only relayed uh, political information, nothing classified, and he never had any kind of security clearance. Uh, the FBI apparently concluded that the driver hadn't revealed anything of substance. Um, however, in QAnon world, Feinstein's Chinese connection was far more nefarious, as they always are. Mm. So in an August 18th, 2018 Q drop, Q responded to report that Feinstein was mortified about the discovery of a Chinese spy on her staff by saying this. Mortified? What is the purpose of a bridge? Q. So no one in the QAnon community was quite sure what Q meant by bridge. No, no one in the QAnon community actually understands what the purpose of a bridge is. So right. it's, they were very confused. Well, I don't understand. I've always just stayed on this side of the river. Yeah, it's the thing I thought it was the thing in, in the middle, in the middle of your nose. Wait, that's that thing I play with my friends after church. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, some speculated that the driver was a bridge between China and Feinstein, or even possibly Hillary Clinton. Someone some suggested that. You know, maybe it's Hillary connection. Maybe. Yeah. We might find out later. Others suggest it was a reference to New Bridge Capital, a firm that was started by Feinstein's husband. Uh, but they knew one thing. It meant that uh, Feinstein was selling America out to the Chinese and she was going to go down for it at any second. So um, in uh, November of 2018, Anon expressed worries about China, which Q endorsed by linking to the post. Here's what the Anon said. Honestly, it seems that China is a greater slash more urgent existential threat than Russia right now. <laughs> China wants to crush us. <laughs> The guy, the guy who's like 10 years later is like, damn, there were some articles, weren't there? Hmm. China wants to crush us, and so many of our business are dependent on cheap <laughs> Chinese manufacturing. We need real IP slash trade protection, cybersecurity, and tax incentives that make it cheaper to make the here. 
In QAnon world, uh, Google is portrayed as a villain for its collaboration with China. Um, in December of 2018, it was reported that a fire broke out in Raycom Infotech Park, which houses Google's office and a technology hub in Beijing. Um, of course, Q implied that there, this was no accident, but was in fact part of Google's effort to cover its tracks in some way. But it got fully busted in every possible way. I don't yep. What tracks? Here's what uh, December 11th, 2018, QDrop says. Google CEO says no plan to launch censored search engine in China. How do you cover your tracks? Start a fire. Goog says no plan to launch. What if Goog already gave access to China? China launch? Will China be announcing a state-funded and state-made new search engine in the coming months? The fire that brought down Google. Q. I mean, I'm sure they are. And I'm also well, sure that they're spying on all these tech companies and, and getting the code that they need to then yeah, do, it, the, right. do it themselves. Like... Uh, yeah, but it's not because the, they're in a the secret idea. pact with Satan. They they're just not want to right, make right. money. They're in a capitalist <laughs> pact with making money. Like, that's it. They fucking love money. And it's like, oh, my God, the, the functioning of the international capitalist system. What a mystery. But also, I want to talk about the idea that Google, the, you know, like one of the wealthiest, most powerful, most sophisticated tech companies in the world, set. covers its tracks <laughs> with a giant noticeable fire that makes international headlines. Yeah. Although that is the kind of stupid thing that you end up finding out later. You're like, I can't believe how dumb that part of history <laughs> that, is. This is, I guess. But it's one of those things where it's like, oh, it's, it's like there's lots of ways you could destroy information, right? If yeah. you're none of them involve a giant fire of a building. It's no, one of those fire's things actually. Like, pretty, how are you yeah. this dumb? Why are you buying this? Covering his tracks. What? Stop believing this. It is so. Goddamn stupid. Yeah, you'd you'd be better off doing like a, a kind of like a magnetic rewrite of every drive or just oh, something. Whatever. There's a million yeah, yeah. ways Magnet to destroy. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. What, you don't yeah. have to destroy your whole building. Oh yeah, yeah. Run a magnet over, drill a few holes in the in the in the in the driver, and done. you are it's done. Yeah, it's, it's gone forever. Ir, uh, irretrievable. In it's fact, so I, easy. I absolutely guarantee you that Google has a a kind of a digital shredder in place oh. that literally makes it impossible to recover anything from anything they ever want to erase. That's, and they could do that's it just silently without any fire. I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't know. When you're doing something wrong and Satan is so damn involved, yeah. sometimes his fiery hands tend to set fires around him. So it might be that too. I threw up in a server farm once. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> oh. <laughs> You know, that's just a farm. <laughs> I went to, uh, I had a friend in college, uh, my, an old roommate of mine. I, I don't think he listens to the podcast, but he and his buddy had like an internet company that they were starting uh, from scratch. Cool. And uh, they were doing really well. It was like a some kind of, uh, some kind of security first, some, some, some shit like that. And um, they housed their servers in the same place that Google and Amazon housed all of their servers down in San Diego. And uh, we went there one night because um, they wanted to show it off. And it was awesome. It looked like the Matrix. All the floors were like white and the ceilings were white, these bright lights. And it was all these cooling mechanisms and these large black server towers. And um, I took like five bong loads like in a shed wait, behind the... What? Yeah. <laughs> wait, we, wait, wait. So you're... We smoked... There's a, bon there's a shed out back? Yeah, there was like a little shit. It might have been like an alley or whatever, but we, you know, we we were gonna get high before we went in. We were smoking a bong in a shed. Yeah, and I took like five bong loads, and I got so high. This was um, definitely a farm, I like an actual farm. I got so high that uh, I threw up. 
all over the um like the floor of the ser- like the floor of the server farm. Yeah. And uh, my buddy walked over and he was like, "Jesus, man." He was like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, uh, yeah. And he was like, well, you better clean that up because look, and he pointed up to the ceiling and there are like 15 security cameras that just were seemingly aimed like directly mm-hmm. at me. And yeah. so in this like high state, I had to get on my hands and knees and like clean up my oh own my vomit, God. which is like always horrible. It's, that's a terrible yeah. thing to do. This is, this is a great way to end my China segment. Uh, so. We got yeah. out of there. Thank you for the story. Yeah, no we, wonder he always talks about weird physical stuff because his body is a, is a, it's you, know, you put something in, but you never know what you're going to get out. No charges were pressed, and I seemingly <laughs> got away innocently. Yeah. So yeah, perfect. No harm, no foul, I guess. All right. Well, I mean, uh, the tech world is ruled by fucking frat bros, so that's probably not the first time they got puke all over their fucking server oh room. God, yeah. <laughs> but that's basically uh, that's basically uh, China and QAnon world. They they're they're out there, and they're maybe uh, they're definitely our enemies. They're doing shady things. They're and. Um, and they're spying on us, and like Trump and Q team are working to bring them to heel, basically. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's it. Pretty simple. Mm. Sounds awesome and true. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it feels true is what's most important. <laughs> right. A tale of espionage with Jake Rokotansky. China, if you're listening, why don't you get Trump's tax returns? I'm sure our media would richly reward you. It all began simply enough. An interview with a popular television host. Hillary Clinton had done thousands of these. Tens of thousands, maybe. But this interview in particular was different from all the rest. She had said something she couldn't take back, catapulting her into the dark underbelly of the World Wide Web. Clinton returned home that evening exhausted, frustrated. The endless monotony of going on camera and pretending she gave a shit was taking its toll. She dropped her purse on the floor of the entryway and sauntered into the kitchen. Clinton smiled. A tub of Ben and Jerry's Chunky Monkey sat, melting on the counter, a spoon handle jutting out of it. Bill was home. Hillary Porter. <laughs> oh my God! Oh, this is outrageous a, to claim that she would in a, enjoy this kind of beverage. We're in for a good one. Hillary poured herself a glass of Chardonnay and adjourned to her office in the den. She had a couple emails to answer. Nothing too serious. Meet and greets to plan. Book sales to monitor. The usual. She took a sip from her glass before setting it down and powering up a brightly colored iMac. It always took a couple minutes. <laughs> For years, her aides had insisted on upgrading to one of the sleek gray newer models, but it was too much business. Clinton liked things the way they were, and they could all get fucked as far as she was concerned. (laughs) When the rig finally did boot up, Clinton hovered her cursor over the America Online icon. She double-clicked. After staring at the spiraling pinwheel for what seemed like an hour, the program finally loaded. 378 new messages. Fuck, Clinton thought. It was more than she wanted, more than she needed. <laughs> Nevertheless, she began to open them and reply, one by one. You've got mail. Clinton startled a bit. Whoever used the machine last had turned the volume all the way up and neglected to return it to a reasonable level. She was annoyed. It was bad enough she had lost the presidency due to these infuriating robots, and now here they were again, constantly reminding her of the responsibilities she'd rather not tend to. Hillary sighed. She scrolled to the top of her inbox. A bolded, unopened message stared blankly at her from behind the dim screen. The header was made up entirely of strange symbols. Must be a scam, Clint thought to herself. She painstakingly dragged her mouse over a small trash can icon. 
when something caught her eye. Translate this message? A small gray link asked. She hesitated. This is how her good friend John Podesta got hacked. A strange message with a strange link. She knew how this ended. Not well. Clinton clicked on the link. The screen blipped and the characters in the message flipped to English. Clinton stared at the screen. There was now a single sentence written in the subject field. I have done what you asked. The message was signed, 420 Blaze at 69. Clinton sat back in her chair. Every bone in her body was telling her to delete the damn thing right then and there. But she was curious. And, if she was being honest with herself, this was the most interesting thing that had happened to her in months. Slowly, carefully, she guided the small black arrow over the word, reply. And what might that be? Hillary reread the words over in her head. She quickly deleted it. It was too eager, she thought. She placed her hands over the keyboard. Oh, yeah? She wrote. <laughs> Better. More mysterious. She clicked send. Clinton leaned back in her chair. She waited. A minute went by. Two minutes. She got up from her chair and tiptoed back into the kitchen, refilling her glass before creeping back into the downstairs office. As she entered the room, a small dinging sound from the computer startled her. She quickly shuffled herself back behind the desk. On the right side of the screen, she saw a new message was waiting for her in the AOL Instant Messaging app. The user bore the same name as the mystery email sender. Clinton squinted her eyes and read the message. Do you have kick? It asked. <laughs> no, Clinton typed. What is it? It's an encrypted messaging service, the person responded. You can download it on your phone, it said. Clinton was nervous. She hated downloading new apps. Aside from the Angry Birds sequels that released every couple years or so, Clinton tried to keep her dashboard clean, simple. It was how she liked it. And why should I do that? Clinton typed into the chat box. She grinned. Because I have Donald Trump's tax returns, LMAFO, the person typed. Hillary stared at the text. The room felt like it was spinning around her. Maybe it was the Chardonnay. No, she thought it was more than that. Her adrenaline was pumping. She was used to having someone else's adrenaline coursing through her veins. This felt different. It was her own, and it was powerful. Oh, you're home. A voice coming from the door to her office caught her off guard. It was Bill, her husband. <laughs> he was leaning against the doorframe, slurping the final drops of melted banana-flavored ice cream from a cardboard tub. A frightened child stood silently behind him. Are you going to come to bed? Bill asked innocently. Uh, no. I've got a little bit of work left to do. Hillary lied through her teeth. I'll be up in a little. Okay, Bill said. Good night. Good night, Bill. Good night, child. Hillary replied. <laughs> <laughs> they disappeared and Hillary could hear footsteps echo off into the second floor of the quiet house. As soon as they were out of range, Hillary grabbed her phone and opened up the app store. She typed the letters K-I-K -K into the search field. A bright green logo appeared at the top of the results. Hillary hesitated for a moment. She clicked download. A new box appeared, prompting her to enter a password. Fuck, Clinton thought. She typed Madam President into the password field. <laughs> Such a cheap shot. <laughs> you heartless cur. The box shook with denial. She let out an exasperated sigh and tried again, typing Madam President 2016. <laughs> denied again. You gotta be fucking kidding me, Hillary exclaimed aloud. She typed, Madam President 2008 into the password field. She hit enter. The box disappeared and the app began downloading. Thank God, she thought, as she waited with bated breath for the app to finish installing. This is stupid, she thought. What am I doing? She considered aborting the whole thing. 
the thought of getting one up on the man who had humiliated her in front of the entire world was too enticing to let go. She had come this far. It was too late to turn back. She opened the app. It was bright and green and colorful with large bubble text. The fuck is this, Hillary thought. It looked like a messaging service for kids. And while Hillary couldn't deny her and her husband's and their donors' love for children, this was almost too cringeworthy to bear. <laughs> Hillary carefully entered the username 420blaze at 69 into the contact screen. She hit request. Without warning, the app started spewing small dinging sounds as, message pour as messages poured into her virgin inbox. ASL, a few of them asked. One message was a gallery of faceless penises with new pictures being sent every few seconds. Good Lord, Clinton exclaimed aloud. <laughs> faceless penis. Is this it's not how penises work? Is this how is this how kids were communicating with each other nowadays? No wonder the world was so screwy. She shook her head in disgust. Ping! Hillary scrolled to the top for a quickly filling inbox. There was one new message from 420Blaze at 69. WYD? Question mark. The message said. Must be some sort of code, Clinton thought. She quickly got up and walked over to a nearby bookshelf, running her finger along the spines of the old hardcovers. Aha, Hillary said, and produced a DVD titled Wind Talkers, starring Nicolas Cage. What, what is, is this a real movie? Wind Talkers. What, what are, oh, do they? Yes, yeah, good. Do you know it's you, a good you, one? Yeah, yeah, I've seen it, yeah. Good movie. It's, it's. She popped the DVD into the ancient disc drive and pressed play. <laughs> what? What did I even write here? Oh man, I can really you really tell when the night gets away from me. <laughs> oh my god. Alright, I'm gonna try to get it. Jesus, he's oh my that crying again. It's been a few episodes, <laughs> but he's crying again. He's back. We got our boy back. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's doing that thing that babies do when they cry, where they have to like <laughs> suck air in in the middle of their crying. It's very uncomfortable to watch. He's quite a beast. I mean, to be honest, quite a specimen. <laughs> Julia, can you read it? I can't do it. <laughs> All right. What do you mean? You can't. You physically can't do it this time. All right. Okay. Just to go from yeah, she I'm popped doing a DVD it. to the end she, of that she, paragraph. She popped the DVD into the ancient disk drive and pressed play. Hours went by. As the credits rolled, Hillary wiped the tears from her eyes and minimized the video player. Minimize? She had no she had no better understanding of 420 Blaze at 69's code than when the movie had begun. But did not regret watching the entire film. So what okay. No, but why but but what's I, I want to understand the connection between what you doing and Wind Talkers starring Nicolas Cage. Because <laughs> it's a movie about like, <laughs> it's like a <laughs> a so, movie about like you know. Yeah, it's yeah. about it's about uh, the Navajo uh, people who <laughs> served in uh, Americans who served in the World War II. Oh, who, did the code? Yeah, who who yeah, basically yeah who translated messages because Navajo language is so complex that the Germans couldn't crack it. Okay. And does All Nicolas right. Cage uh, uh, play uh, a Native American? No, 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 no. He, <laughs> he just goes full. No. <laughs> full Native face. Um, okay. Okay. All right. Got it. Right. Okay. So yeah, uh, that very useful part of the plot. <laughs> really, you're, you know, you're developing a character or moving the plot forward. That's the rule, right? I know. I think I, you're doing both here. You know, sometimes when you're such a good writer, you can... You can <laughs> 
break the rules a little bit. Jesus Christ. Complete fucking meltdown. His skin is just bright red at this point from the stress of, of laughing so hard. It's just red and wet right now. He looks like the fucking... He looks like a rooster's little goiter there. All right. I may not be able to recover. If if the voice changes halfway through and it's slightly more annoying and high pitched, you'll know that he couldn't. He died, and it's me. <laughs> couldn't make it. It's me. I'm gonna wear his his body as like a, a hat. All right. She clicked back over to AOL Instant Messenger. There was a new message. So bored, lol. You should send me a pic. <laughs> <laughs> The message included a a small graphic of a tiny red devil's face. That's the hacker's signature, Hillary thought. Not sending anything, she typed. She hovered over send, but then got an idea. She continued typing, until you send the taxes. Mm. Hillary watched intensely as an animated ellipses appeared at the bottom of the chat window. It disappeared. Hillary sighed. It reappeared again. Hillary leaned forward in her chair. Okay, hold up, the message said. Hillary waited. She polished off the glass of wine. You've got mail. Clinton nearly jumped out of her chair. She quickly navigated to the mail tab and opened up the message. A download window popped up. A file transfer began. Whatever it was, it was big. A new window appeared. (laughs) (laughs) Pages and pages of tax documents flooded the screen. Hillary couldn't believe it. Ding. She glanced over at the messages. So where's my reward, lol? Hillary smirked. Of course. She began to type. How much do you want? Clinton knew this game well. Nothing was free. She knew it better than anyone else in the world. 420 Blaze at 69 replied, Not into money, lol. You should send a picto, LMFAO. Fair was fair. Hillary adjusted her sweater. After struggling for a few minutes, she was finally able to switch over to the built-in camera in her phone. She raised it in front of her. Sliding as shit, she said. Hillary stood up from the desk and paced around the room, trying to find some acceptable background lighting. She snapped a pic. It looked awful. She tried again. This one was a little bit better. Ding, ding, ding. The messages were coming in fast now. Hold your horses, Clinton thought. She had tried to use a filter, but it somehow dialed Chelsea's husband by mistake. She quickly hung up. Back in the camera app, she desperately fiddled with the filters. Finally, after deciding on a black and white one, she readied her phone to send the selfie to 420 Blaze at 69. But something had changed. She noticed there were blocks and blocks of text in the chat. Guess not, lol. You're fat anyway. Would never go out with someone like you. Only hit you up as a joke anyway, lol. Good luck ever finding a nice guy like me to date you. Good luck. And a small graphic of a peace sign. Clinton's head reeled. She didn't understand how things had gotten so bad so quickly. A worried expression came over her. She quickly retrieved the tax documents and began to scan through them. Hillary Clinton then made a startling realization. They were her taxes. Taxes that had been public for decades, like any decent presidential candidate. Her heart sank. Clinton looked down at the carpeted floor in her office. How could she have been so naive? Even worse, she was somewhat proud of the selfie she had taken. Oh well. She gathered herself up and slowly crossed the office. As she reached up to shut off the lights, a noise took her by surprise. You've got mail. Clinton rushed over to her desk and clicked on the message. This one wasn't from 420 Blaze at 69. Instead, the sender's address was just a seemingly random string of letters and numbers. This time, Clinton didn't hesitate. She opened the message. New investigation by the New York Times shows before he became president, Donald Trump once spent a decade in the red, losing more than a billion dollars. 
The Times obtained tax figures for the years 1985 to 1994 that show Mr. Trump consistently losing money. According to the paper, the report represents the fullest and most detailed look to date at the president's taxes. The piece goes on, adding that during the decade examined, Mr. Trump appears to have lost more money than nearly any other individual American taxpayer. <laughs> <laughs> what? He's literally the worst person in the country with money? Yep. This is amazing. See, that's the main thing. Uh, Hillary must be so pissed because... You say whatever you want about Hillary. She's damn good at making money. Yeah. And and, and sure. keeping a pretty damn high position in the government. Sure. So she must just be like, what the fuck? This guy is bad at everything. Yeah, well, and yeah. he still you know, beat me. So look, she, you know, I think, you know, the moral of the story is that ultimately uh, the payoff was worth it. Uh, even though she <laughs> right. kind of had a little bit of a false start. Yeah, I well, agree, man. Qu quite the parable. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, we are here to thank our amazing Patreon supporters. So at the $10 level, we have Adam A, Alan G, Allison L, A.W, Benjamin, Bully Whiff, Cody M, Doug S, Dylan Y, Eric O, Fragment, or Fraggy, as she goes uh, in our Discord, Jack R, uh, James and Molly, James O, Jamie, John S, Joseph G, Josh R, Meredith A, Mike, Mitch B, Owen H, Bill Mac, U, Q Loves Cake Farts, Sandra, Sabir, Spencer D, and Stephen A C, and Toon Army M I A. Thank every one of you so much from the bottom of my thank heart. Thank you guys. Yes, thank you. And then we'd like to thank our $20 patrons, Andrew T, Brant F, Chinchi, Chris M, Chris T, Derek T, Joel D, Joel H, Luke B, None Dare Call It Ordinary, and Seb Gorkasm. Uh, thank you all so much. And then, of course, we have- Thank a, you so much. A lot of people who've signed up at the five level, and unfortunately, we had to kind of modify that because otherwise- we were going to go back to our episodes being in endless amounts of names. And I'm sure that if you've listened to all the episodes till now, you've been, you know, maybe a little annoyed if your name, uh, you know, d didn't get called every week like you thought. But then you slowly came to appreciate that the end of the episode wasn't just right. like some sort of bizarre baby name uh, like, catalog. Be like the Hunger Games. Call, we be like, <laughs> use her, you who are called to. I don't know what the fuck. I haven't seen her. No, oh, wow. Shit. What a joke. <laughs> Hey, congratulations. This is what Damn, you pay I for, have, by the way. Dude, Again, I have never this is the content that you pay so for. This it. is the content you deserve. <laughs> oh, man. We bring, we bring you this week Jake. He's had uh, half a cup of chili <laughs> and uh, maybe a little pufferoo. And he's starting to have panic attacks, even though he's only drank like a third of his coffee, which is literally Correct. every week the same thing. Yeah, I have to take um, it very slowly or else... Uh, but uh, he does. He can't even finish sentences or else anymore. It's bad. It's very bad. Very bad. Uh, he can only speak in three or four words. They're, listen. So if you're a five, <laughs> if you're if you're a five dollar subscriber, we do want to thank you uh, so much. Even though we're not reading your name out, you are really important to us. And uh, like I like we've said in the past, like you you've held uh, helped us build this and believe that it would be something um, that could get bigger and better and more sustainable. We're also heading towards our our next Patreon. Uh, uh, milestone which will have us do a live Q&A 
and then me and Jake will kick off a kind of uh, video game Twitch stream. Fucking. Should we tell them what like we're the damn kids. what we're kind of thinking yes. about? Yes. Okay, so what we're thinking is instead of doing like a traditional sort of like yeah, watch us play video games, like you know whatever. Um, we're thinking about picking queue adjacent games. Queue adjacent so games. Some Tom Clancy stuff, but not the usual bullshit Tom Clancy. We're going for an, I believe, Obsidian made uh, RPG from the early 2000s. Yeah, uh, it's called uh, Alpha Protocol, and um, it's a spy. Uh, it's a single player spy RPG. And what we're thinking about doing is sitting down and and pre recording like like we do with the uh, you know like we do with the episodes. Um, and then we're going to edit them together to be like fun and, and, and be good. But then also there'll be like a playthrough. Yeah, it'll, yeah, it'll be a playthrough. But like we're going to like we're going to read all the voices. We're going to edit and out the parts where Jake has diarrhea and has to leave. <laughs> we're going to edit out the parts yeah, where like, Julian yeah. gets lost in some sort of spiral of swear words about somebody. Yeah, but we're going to act out all the dialogue and shit yeah. like so. So we'll try to make it like a fun performance, too. That's that's the idea. That's least. the idea that uh, Travis is finding out about today. Travis doesn't. Uh, he never joins us in the the uh, the sunken place, which is right. which is Jake and I. With you know, we've we've sunk down the, the couch so far that our shirts have pulled up and our bellies are out, and we're just muttering into a mic that's basically pressed to our lips from the side, but we're too lazy to adjust it. And we're playing a terrible MMO that no one's going to play a week later. Uh, but that's us. I'm here to remind everyone that they're fine. I'm here to, they're, they're, they're okay. <laughs> Nothing bad's happening to them. And like everything's normal. Yeah. He's our witness. He bears right. witness. and Witness us. And he'll one day testify in the documentary made about the triple, uh, the double suicide. <laughs> You like how I cut you out of that suicide, Travis? <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Because I know it. you have something to live for, so. <laughs> Love you. You've been listening to the QAnon Anonymous podcast. Our Twitters are at QAnon Anonymous, at Travis underscore View, at Julian Field, F-E-E-L-D, and at Real Rakitansky. Uh, if you want to see how to spell Rakitansky, uh, just look up Mad Max. We refuse to allow corporate <laughs> advertisement on our show. That is why we gate our second weekly episode behind a $5 a month subscription. So visit, so He's really putting a lot of emotion into the read. So please visit patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous and subscribe for $5 a month to get access to a weekly premium episode, plus all the ones we've already recorded. But the, today it's like, yeah, we're almost at like, you know, 25? Yeah, I think 20, we're past 25. Yeah, yeah, I think well past 25. 25 is going to be this week, um, but it'll be more if you're listening to the future. Time is a, it's a weird thing. The faster we grow, the closer we get to making more varied content. So thank you. Listener, until next week, may the deep dish bless you and keep you. It's not a conspiracy, it's a fact. And now, today's auto cue. But I'm here to tell you, like I've been telling you, these people are going to face prosecution, they're going to face serious jail time, and some of them will face the death penalty. There is no other way forward. And as Brennan Dilley has often pointed out, this is a zero-sum game. Trump declared war against them, and they know that they are facing life in prison or possibly a death sentence. They know that. This is a winner-take-all game. Trump is either going to prosecute them and put every one of them in jail and probably have a lot of them executed, 
or they are going to come after him and kill his family. 